Hey friends, welcome to church. Uh, my name is Matt Moberg. We are so grateful again that you are choosing to spend this part of your Sunday night with us, even if we are not doing it together outside. It's still good to do it through the screen in this way. Um, I'm just going to give you a couple quick announcements and invitations before Pastor Debbie comes up and brings a message. Uh, first announcement is this. On September 27th, we have a lay care training that will be happening at Steve and Debbie Manning's house in South Minneapolis. Uh, that is a space where uh, we're inviting different people in the community who want to lean in and love their neighbors in this community. That you would show up on that Sunday so you can learn more about how do you actually do that in healthy ways that are effective and consistent. Uh, you can register for that event, that training, on our website, on our calendar. There's a link there. I'm going to give you a couple more registration opportunities. After that, we have Women at the Table on September 30th. That'll be at Julie Idy's house. Um, if you are a woman and you're at the table and you want to meet other women who are at the table, that's a special night to do that. These nights have been profoundly impactful, so I've heard, I've yet to be invited to one personally, but relationships happen there. Great conversations, better food, the whole spam. So sign up on the calendar at the table, mpls.com, uh, if you want to partake in that. Debbie, there's one more announcement. What's the last one? Oh, the best one. I got it. I got it. I remember it. We had a, the time of our lives last weekend, and so we figured, why wouldn't we, while the sun is still up and winter is yet to arrive, why wouldn't we do the whole thing one more time? October 4th, we're going to be back in the parking lot outside this fine building, Bethlehem Lutheran Church. We're going to do another praise and worship service like we did last Sunday, and we get to be together, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be edifying. It's going to be awesome. So we would love for you to register on our link on the calendar for our October 4th church service. So again, that we can have um, an idea of who's coming and thus build an infrastructure that, that gives us space to do it safely, responsibly, and respectfully. That's my three announcements. My last announcement is that if you want to stay connected to the table and you have yet to do so, please text the word table to 33 222, and we will keep you up to date on all the different things that are happening in the future. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. We love you guys. Enjoy this message from Debbie. Debbie? Enjoy it from Debbie. Go ahead, Deborah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the table tonight. And my name's Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table, and we're so glad you're with us tonight. And like Matt said, it was so, so good to be together last Sunday night, and I'm excited that we get to do it again in just a few more weeks. So please register, P please come, and uh, we can join back together again before the weather changes. Hey, we are continuing in the revised uh, common lectionary, and I'm going to continue on in Exodus. That's where Matt was last week, and this week we're in Exodus 16. And the bigger context of that story, if you remember, is that uh, the Israelites have just been delivered from slavery and Moses brings them across the sea. God opens that sea. They cross on dry land and all the pursuers um, have drowned. But right now, in where we start our story tonight, um, the Israelites are on their way. They're on route to the promised land uh, with their fearless leaders, Moses and Aaron. And the interesting thing about chapter 16 is it sort of sits in that uncomfortable space, that space between departure and destination, specifically in this context between liberation and covenant. 
And that space, I think, is a space that we can all feel with where we're at right now. In this season of COVID-19, we're sort of in that in-between space where we knew where we came from, but we're not quite sure where we're going and when we're going to get there. And sometimes that space for us can be this, this place where there's lots of uncertainty and fear and uh, hanging on tight to faith can be really, really hard. And it reminds me, um, I can think about this on micro and macro levels, but on more of a micro level, it reminds me of many, the many people in my life right now that have little ones, whether babies or toddlers, and how crazy this time is and how the question sometimes is, what did we get ourselves into? We'll be in this forever, these sleepless nights these crazy moments. And when we were up in Ely during July, I shared with you guys that we were on vacation. My son Sam, his wife Jenny, their three-year-old Soren, their seven-month-old baby Nellie, um, they came onto this vacation thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We're tired. We need rest. We're on vacation. First vacation we've taken as a family with little people. And uh, two days in, Sam and Jenny with sort of a glazed look on their face, looked up at the rest of us and said, we hate to sound so despondent, but we thought we'd be on vacation. We thought things would change. We thought we'd get rest. And uh, not so, not with a baby getting up two or three times in the night and a toddler running all over the place during the day, that they, the realization that they're in this in-between space that sometimes feels like it's gonna go on forever and we feel worn out. And that's much like the Israelites in this story. They're worn out. They're tired. Immediately they encounter problems in the wilderness. We're in Exodus 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I'm going to stop before I continue in the passage that we're in because I think we can get a good sense of their weariness. You know, long journeys with really tough circumstances sometimes bring out the worst in people. And it seems like that's happened. And according to verse 1, right before we got started, they've been in the journey for about six weeks. Unbeknownst to them, they'll be close to another 40 years. They're not happy and they're not having it. They're hungry, they're tired, they're uncertain about the present and the future. The afterglow of victory has been snuffed out. And the this liberation from slavery, they've already forgotten it. But what they do remember is the full stomachs that they had at the end of the day when we they were back in Egypt. Forgotten were the years of domination and terror and enslavement by the Pharaoh, and in its place was a misremembered history. How quickly they forget. How quickly we forget. But maybe there's more to this story than even the hunger and the weariness and the fear of not knowing, maybe, maybe being freed and trusting God requires a new identity. And it's hard to give up the only identity that you've ever known, even when that identity, identity sucks. And this new identity will be part of their journey. 
And I think the idea of new identity is part of our journey, our faith journey as well. But they grumble. At the root of the Hebrew word, the English meaning is murmur. They grumble. And I got to tell you guys, I'm not a huge fan of grumbling. I don't know. I'm not a grumbler myself. If you ask my family, ask my husband, um, my MO is more of laid back, go with the flow, and then a couple times a year I just totally blow. You don't want to be around because it's not pretty, and frankly it's super irrational, doesn't make a lot of sense. One of those out-of-body experiences. So I'm not the day-to-day grumbler. But my husband, who I'm going to say for the record, um, always loves the way that I use him as the example <laughs> of what not to be. <laughs> so Steve, I apologize. But um, he occasionally can be a grumbler. And when we, in our first couple years of marriage, we realized early on that, wow, we're really different in the way we do life. And to sum it up in a nutshell, um, Steve's a little more orderly and neat. And let's just say I can be messy. I don't always quite leave things the way I found them. And so in those first years, I could hear him from other rooms grumbling and mumbling under his breath. And usually it was this, dang it, Debbie. Dang it, Debbie. Now, you can replace that dang it with something else. I won't do that here. But um, that was an MO of, of who we were as a couple. And even to this day, even though I feel I have grown and gotten better at putting my things away, I can still be on another floor, and I can hear him cleaning up and hear him grumbling and my name in that. And I will yell from upstairs, what are you saying down there? <laughs> so anyway, I'm not a fan of grumbling. I don't think it really gets you anywhere. But... I'm wrong in this case because the Israelites, they grumble. Moses, Aaron, they feel the complaints. And God listens and God answers. Here we continue on in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling and you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. 
400 years of bondage and suddenly they're free. God has saved him, but will God sustain them? They encounter the real problem of hunger and the possibility of starving to death in the desert. And they complain. Moses, he seems a little bit irritated, but God seems to take the complaint in stride. In stride. Matter of fact, God takes that compl- complaint and he actually provides exactly what they need in circumstances that seem almost impossible. Every day, go out and gather just what you need for that day. If people try to hoard it, it won't last. It won't keep. And the exception was to be the Sabbath because the day before that you could gather double as much and it would keep so that they could rest on the Sabbath. And crazy as it sounds, but for 40 years they wandered the desert until they hit the land of Canaan, the promised land, and that's the food that sustained them. That meat at night, the bread in the morning, and that's the story of manna from heaven. And I think the question is, what exactly is that manna? And there's been a lot of speculation over the years as to exactly what that is. Exodus 16.31 tells us, Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, the name comes from the Hebrew manna, which means, what is it? What is it? This fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Well, amidst all the speculation, Barbara Brown Taylor, a pastor, theologian, author, she writes in her book, Bread of Angels, that if you, to this day, go out to the Sinai Peninsula, which is where all this action took place, that there's a Bedouin group of Arabs who wander that land now, and to this day, they still gather manna, and they still call it manna. And what it is, is um, it's a substance that comes from uh, a lice, a plant lice that feeds on a tree, a tree called a tamarisk. And the bugs, they eat a lot of sap from the tree. They need a lot of it to get the nutrients that they need. But everything that they don't need gets excreted. I know it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But into this yellowish white flake or like a ball of juice that comes from this tree. And it's full of carbohydrates and sugar. And apparently when you gather it into a batter and you bake it, it's this delicious bread. Now the interesting thing is, is that it doesn't last long because if it gets warm in the sun during the day, it melts. And if you try to store it more than a day, it rots. So that group of people, those Bedouin Arabs, they gather it just for one day. Sounds a little bit like the manna we're talking about, this gift from God. But there are those who discount this explanation because they think that somehow it takes away from the miracle. But does it? Because what's the miracle here? That the manna came out of nowhere or that God heard his people and met their needs with some bug juice? I think the question that's important for us is, What makes 
bread from heaven? Is it the thing itself? Or is it the one who sends it? The answer to that question matters. It matters because it has a lot to do with how we sense God's presence in our lives. If we expect that manna from heaven is going to drop out of the sky and this beautiful um, golden crust baked loaf of bread, then we're going to go hungry a lot. We're going to miss what God is doing right in front of us in our day-to-day life in all those ordinary ways that we might not normally notice. But if we're willing to look at everything that comes our way as something coming from God, manna is going to be raining down on us, friends. A call or a text from a friend, just in that moment when we needed it, manna from heaven. I think about my little Soren, three years old, stopping by last night and wrapping his arm around my arm and saying, Day-Day, can I have a hug? Manna from heaven. The school supplies, the formula, the food, the backpacks that you all supplied and that were received. Manna from heaven. Lynn meeting Lori in the parking lot last weekend. Manna from heaven. Nicole getting to go back to work and teach and love those children that she works with. Manna from heaven. A young wife coming home from a late shift at the hospital and her pajamas were put out in the bathroom by her husband. Manna from heaven. A moment of quiet, a moment of crazy, a moment of conversation. That's manna from heaven. A beautiful night for an outdoor worship when we haven't gathered for six months. That's manna from heaven. All we need to do is look around and see God's abundance. And while we might still ask, what is it? What we can trust, what we know is who sent it. And I think part of the message tonight is not just that God saves, not just that God sustains, but in that sustaining, we are changed. Because God is made known in the simple things that sustain us. That's what happened to the Israelites in the desert. From slavery to freedom, God was creating a new community, a new way of living, and the same holds true for us. Formation, transformation, it takes a long time. It takes a lifetime. But with that formation comes a new identity, new rhythms, new practices, and new information, new knowledge about this God who liberates us. It's all about that faith that continues to evolve, that evolves within us, that evolves as we go together in life as a community. And all along the way, we have the gift of manna, the bread of life. And Barbara Brown Taylor, I love that she says, so be alert to the manna. And I think that's our call, be alert to the manna. And friends, I think we're going to need it more now than ever as we continue on in this period of COVID, as we continue on in this election season, as we continue on through what might be kind of a long winter. Be alert to manna. I'm going to close our time, and I'm going to read a short 
part, short passage from Barbara Brown Taylor's book. I think it's a beautiful way to end our time together. And my ask is that you would get comfortable, that you would close your eyes, that you would take in these words that I think sum up our passage tonight and what it really means. After Jesus fed the 5,000 in the wilderness, they stuck to him like glue. The miracle of the loaves reminded them of the manna stories they had heard. And they thought they had their own very own Moses to work wonders for them. Testing their premise, they asked Jesus to prove himself by producing bread from heaven on the spot. They wanted the butter crust loaves, but he knew they needed more than that. So they gave he gave them himself instead, which, believe me, sounded like bug juice to some of them. They wanted a miracle food to eat, not a relationship with this ordinary-looking man. He honored their hunger even as he corrected them. It was not Moses who gave it to them, he explained. It was God who gave it, and God who gives the true bread from heaven, the bread that gives life to the world. Give us this bread always, they said. And that is when he let them know that they were looking at it. I am the bread of life, he told them. Jesus is God's manna in the wilderness, the one who reminds us day by day that we live because God provides not what we want necessarily, but exactly what we need. Some bread, some love, some breath, some wine, a relationship with this ordinary looking man who comes from heaven to bring life to the world. Glad to be on this journey with you all. And now I'll turn it over to Matt for the words of institution. I really appreciate that message from Debbie tonight and always that good news reminder that God is a God who not just saves us, but also sustains us and gives us bread for the journey as we go forward. And when we think about bread, we think about the last meal that Jesus shared with his closest of friends where they were sitting around a table for one final time and Jesus reached into the middle of the table knowing that it'd be the last time he'd be able to do so. And he said, guys, this is my body and it's broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, remember me. Remember my life. Remember how I stayed with you and sustained you every step of the way. In the same way, he reached for the cup that was at the center of the table, and he, was, he poured wine into it, and he said, this, this cup, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you guys get around this table and you take from the bread and you drink from this cup, remember me. Remember you are loved. Remember that you are worth it. And so we do that here at the table. Every week when we get together, we do a lot of different things, but this is our one constant. We come and we partake in the elements and remember that final supper and how we are still being fed from it. And so if you are with somebody, uh, now would be appropriate time for you to grab bread or crackers or Cheez-Its and also some wine or juice or water. And just give these words to them as I give these words to you who are by yourself. This is the body of Christ broken for you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Every week, along with the bread and the cup, we also say together the Lord's Prayer, and we pray that prayer that Jesus taught us, and so would you join me? Our God, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Together with you guys, and as I thought about tonight's passage, I'm thinking about there's so much richness in it. This idea that um, everybody always had enough, nobody had too much, and I think about that a lot as the call to the kind of community that God wants us to be. And as we move forward into this next season of even voting, frankly, what it looks like to be generous and to share what we have with everyone. And the other thing I want to just leave us with is this idea of being on mana alert of being, having the eyes to see where God is uh, intersecting with our life in all the ordinary moments. So with that, um, please, you can put your hands out at, for the benediction. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter who you love or what you've lost, no matter where you've been or the places you've stayed, you always have a place at the table because you are a beloved child of God, and you belong. Go in peace, my friends, and we can't wait to see you again on October 4th.